1: One of the things that came up for me was that I realized I was in a fog when it came to the business, so much so that he took me through this exercise one time and he said, well, you need to find your solution that you offer for your clients. And so I'm working through that thing for like a week and I could not figure it out. I had no idea. So I sent him a message and I said, yo, I don't think I have a solution, man. And he said something to me that really changed the course of my life. He said, God doesn't make people without solutions. And I was like, what? Like a bomb went off in my head. And I started thinking, because we used to use this term, you know, use your gift, you know, and in the group. And I started thinking, well, I always have the solution. Is that my gift? What is a gift? What does that mean? And it took me down this hole of the rabbit hole where I started exploring what it means to have a gift. And that's why I wrote the book, Breaking Over it, because it was that quest to understand that and unpack it.
0: Thanks all for tuning in to Dreamcatchers where we make things happen. Dreamcatchers was formally launched to unlock the hidden potential in successful, self-motivated individuals who desire to take their life's work to the next level but need support to evolve. We are a collective group of professionals with various backgrounds that use our talents to assist those individuals in realizing their wildest dreams by providing education, inspiration, and direction. This podcast is where we share the lessons we've learned along the way to catching our dreams and give you some context, around the how and the why to each approach to put you further ahead on the journey to catching your dreams. Are you ready? Hey everybody and welcome to the Dreamcatchers podcast. I'm your host Jerome and you guys are in for an amazing interview today. I've got my man Frederick Boosie with me today. How are things in the A, man? Man, things are hot. Yeah, but we're good. (laughs) Frederick's an author, founder of Icon Status. I mean, I could keep going on. Mastermind, there's there's all these amazing things happening. Frederick, we do things a little bit unconventional here. How can the listeners get in contact with you, my brother? I would expect no
1: less than unconventional from you. I'm easy, man. I'm everywhere. LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Frederick Bussey, Frederick.Bussey, Frederick Douglas Bussey. Look me up. My website is uh, FrederickBussey.com. So you can shoot me an email or info at frederickbussy.com. But yeah, any social media channel, if you're watching this, and you probably know how to work the internet. So I'm not hard to find. Frederick Douglass Bussy everywhere.
0: And see, that's how you know when you're an icon. You got everything on all the platforms exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> so for the listeners who don't actually know you, Let's talk about your journey, man. I read the book Breaking Orbits, right? You you talked about being a preacher's kid. You talked about camp. You, you talked about all this stuff. Let's give the listeners a rundown on what your life was before you jumped out and started doing some of these entrepreneurial things you've been on.
1: Man, so a short story. I've been an entrepreneur for about 21 years. Actually, Twenty years ago this month, I left my. We're taping this in July, so July twenty twenty one. So I, twenty years ago this month, I went full time entrepreneur, and never really looked back. Kind of, I was, you know, from the origin story, I was born in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Grew up a son of a preacher's family. We moved from Tennessee to Michigan to Alabama to Mississippi. I grew up in Mississippi for about ten years, and that's kind of formational time for me from age six to age 15 and becoming a young man in a rural small town Mississippi where didn't know a lot about money hard times was hard for everybody we weren't poor but we you know didn't have all that extra money but I did have a good family great parents they homeschooled us for all 12 years you know our primary school education secondary and primary school education so I got to learn how to live life outside the box kind of to see things from a different perspective. I didn't know that at the time, you know, you kind of think that this, it's normal wherever you are, or however you grow up, but that was how it was for me. And when I was around 15, my best friend and his brother was talking about singing groups. And I had been singing with my siblings in church, you know, for years, but never really thought about doing a group. And they were like, we're going to be famous. We can get record deals and do all other stuff. And that kind of launched my foray off into uh, doing music, uh, writing songs, being in the group. This is a whole boy band era. So, you know, Boys to Men, New Edition, Backstreet Boys, everything. That was a dream, you know, be on MTV and have your video played in Times Square and that kind of thing. So that was a dream ultimately. And dived off into that. The group eventually fell apart and I ended up as a songwriter and producer in the industry for a number of years. I graduated from the music side of things, the creative side to the business side as an artist manager and taking all the ideas I had when I was in the group in terms of branding and marketing and stuff. And I became a marketing director for a small label. And then over time, I moved from doing PR and publicity to doing marketing. I was a partner in a PR firm for a number of years and then left there and started my own marketing agency. Realized that I was not passionate about the technical aspects of marketing. I love the influence and psychology of helping people to get clear on things and really understood that I had been coaching people for a long time. So now I use coaching as a way to help entrepreneurs and leaders to be able to dive off into their potential, to really tap into that and build a life of freedom and impact that they really are yearning to have in, in a powerful way. That's the short version.
0: <laughs> wow. So, I mean, you went a ton of places And so where do you actually consider the entrepreneurship starting? Is it in the music biz? Is
1: it before that? Like where is your exit? So it's tied to music in this way, right? So I started my entrepreneurial journey at the time. I started in 2000. I bought a commercial cleaning franchise. And the reason I did that was because I was working a nine to five. I'm trying to pursue this music thing, but you can't do gigs out of town when you got a job and you got to hustle back. So you, do a gig on a Saturday, and you're driving all night to get back to work on Sunday morning. It was just hectic. And I said, I just need more time. I could be more creative, and I had more time, more flexibility. At the time, I was working at a men's warehouse in Huntsville, Alabama, and I ran into a guy who was selling franchises for this business. I had like 300 bucks in the bank. I borrowed a couple hundred dollars from my parents, put that deposit down, financed the rest, and I bought this commercial cleaning franchise. And so I started cleaning toilets and cleaning office buildings, at night after I um, left my main gig. And I did that for about a year. And then slowly the idea started creeping into my head. You know, I'm making this money on the side. But if I left here and I started just getting more contracts, I could make way more money and I have more flexibility. And so that was the foundation for me becoming an entrepreneur. I learned how to kind of run a business, how to price it and pitch and things like that. And from there, it turned into this thing, you know, I'm going to do this full time. And so I left July 2001, put in my two week notice. I knew I had about $1,200 in my 401k. So I cashed that out and said, Well, I can live on this for a little bit. And basically, I lived off of peanut butter and oatmeal and ramen noodles for the next couple of months until I got my next contract. And that kind of started easing things up for me. And I just never looked back. So that was the journey, man. And it wasn't until Maybe three or four years later, I remember somebody asked me, I said, man, so where do you work? I said, I work for myself. And they were like, in awe, like, what? You work for, you have your own business? I was like, yeah. And it wasn't until then that I realized, oh, I've normalized entrepreneurship. Like, this is not regular. You know, this is 20, almost 20 years ago. So at the time, the word entrepreneur was not that thing. It was foreign to people. You know, to own your own business was something that maybe only doctors and lawyers really did maybe accountants or something like that. And so now it's a lot more glamorous and sexy in terms of social media and stuff like that. But at that time, it was not the normal gig. And I just, I really embraced it, became free, and never really realized until later on, you know, I'm pretty much unemployable now, <laughs> you know. I, I set my own hours, my own schedule. The ceiling is whatever I wanted it to be. And so from that aspect of things, it really changed the trajectory of my life. So I'm extremely grateful.
0: You said my favorite word, unemployable. So <laughs> for the <laughs> folks who have opportunities to work for large companies or even small companies these days, they may mm-hmm. be scratching their head and like, what is that? Because if you go in Webster, I don't think it's actually in there. So let's talk about unemployable for a minute.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. It's just when you have this level of freedom, And I'll admit, you know, there are times over the past 20 years when it's gotten rough, or I've even considered, well, if I just get a gig on the side, then I could, you know, maybe finance some other things I want to do. But the idea of my time being committed to other people in terms of their agenda just makes me unemployable. Like I can't wrap my head around it. If I future pace myself and just see myself clocking in for work every morning, Showing up for meetings when other people say so, things of that nature, I can't do it. Because I know my own value. I know the potential that I can create. And so instead of making millions for somebody else, why not do it for myself or for my family? You know, instead of committing that time to other people for their agenda, why not commit that time to the things that I value and I prioritize? Like if, if you're watching this video, you can see my daughter, my youngest, sitting here on my lap. She's watching, you know, puppy dog Tales on the phone. and so. I wouldn't have that level of freedom, you know, maybe in COVID or if I'm remote working from home or something like that. But even still, that unemployable thing is just something that, you know, I think a lot of people feel it. They feel the ties, you know, some people call it the golden handcuffs, if you will. But for me, those handcuffs are just like, even the idea of it is something I can't entertain anymore. So, yeah, I am fully (laughs) unemployable in that regard. So- When you finally
0: pulled the plug and it's like, hey, I'm going to go do this thing full time. Was that the first time you got called to leave behind the old gig?
1: No, I mean, like I said, I was in music. You know, you had that dream of getting a record deal when you're in the music industry. Like you're chasing that thing at that time. Now being independent is a big deal. And honestly, our group, we were always on the independent tip. So we always felt like we've got to be able to write our own ticket. We didn't want to be slaves, quote unquote, to the big record labels and stuff like that. But we were still chasing that deal because we felt like, well, that's the way to kind of do it. Eventually, we want to be independent. And so I always had, I guess, in a sense, had that entrepreneurial instinct to know that there's more if you're free to own your own content, own your own business, own your own destiny. And I really felt that when I was working the nine to five, when I'm working at Men's Warehouse. And that was the, probably the best job I ever had. And yet and still, I realized that my time was limited to them. My capacity to earn was limited to what they said it was, right? And so I could sell every suit in the store and I still could only make a certain amount of money, right? But if I owned that business, then I had a, a lot more leverage. And really every weekend when I was on gig, you know, thinking about having to drive back into town and go to work, it was frustrating because I just wanted to have that freedom to wake up and be able to create, to do whatever it was I wanted to do. Now I just I help people to kind of fashion that vision for themselves to see their way forward, because it's not an easy thing to do when you are stuck or you're programmed into one way of thinking, as most people are. (laughs) So
0: is that one way of thinking, programming?
1: Mm. Well, as you say, you you took the red pill, but there's another pill, right? And there's another pill that people take consciously. And then there's being plugged into the matrix unconsciously, the unaware. And that's just how we are. We're raised to believe that, you know, other people are supposed to set the agenda. Other people are the gatekeepers to whatever it is that we want or think that we're allowed to want, right? A lot of people don't have the confidence to make a choice other than the choices that are presented to them. So if you think about it, when you're a child, your parents are telling you what to do. They set the schedule. They set the agenda. They get permission to the fridge, to TV, whatever the case may be. Then you go to school and your teachers and the principal are the one that set the guidelines. They set the bar in terms of grades. They evaluate you. They tell you where to go. They ring a bell and you move, you know. And then when you graduate from school, either you go to college where there's a little bit more freedom, but still the parameters are there. You can only take the courses that they outline for you to get the jobs they say are going to be there for you. And you graduate, get that degree and then you hope that somebody will hire you to pay you to do what they want you to do and so that's the programming from here on out it's in marketing it's in retail it's in politics it's in you know society every element of it it's all about that so the programming is a real thing that we really have to deal with and have to learn from but unplug yourself from that is, is a challenge for sure
0: without question and being intentional about your approaches. Kind of the beginning and the end of that, right? There's a bunch of stuff that happens in the middle, but you have to first become aware of it and then say, hey, I'm participating or I'm not. And so, what's really cool about your journey is hey, I got this job. I'm starting this franchise. It's my side hustle. You were making a certain amount of money, but you know, you weren't maximizing it. And then in the intro, you said, but now you help people through coaching. So, how'd you make the pivot? into that industry, because everybody is a coach these days, right? But there are some people who actually get folks results. There's winning coaches, and then there's coaches.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, man, I've had a couple of conversations about this over the past couple of days. Getting into coaching, first of all, I avoided it as long as I could, because I did not want to be a coach for the same reason that you said, because so many people are getting into it. And I didn't want to be a commodity. I just, you know, but I, what kind of from a mental standpoint, kind of made the pivot for me was realizing that that's something that i would always been doing. I'd always been using coaching. From the time I was a teenager, I talk about it in the book about working at summer camp. And when I was working there, I'm mentoring young kids. I was in positions of leadership where I had to, to coach camp counselors and my boys and girls directors when I was the assistant camp director and things of that nature. I had to be able to lead people. My coaching, as one of my mentors, Rich Lipton says, coaching is just another word for leadership is leading people in terms of their thinking. It's leading people in terms of the possibilities. It's helping them to co-create new possibilities, a new life path for themselves. And so when I started understanding what that was, that I had been doing that even when I was in the music industry, as a songwriter and producer, I'm working with an artist. I'm helping them to co-create this reality, this story. As an artist manager, I'm helping them to, I'm able to coach them on how to approach their career, perspectives, the songs that they write or, or record. How they brand themselves as an artist, things of that nature, creating whole strategy and stuff like that. That's a real thing that I had to be able to do. And and the way that you do that is by helping people challenging the way that they think, helping them to see what's possible and to create that reality. Every time I did that, you know, I used to be, I would be at church a lot of times, and I'd be holding court after church with a bunch of guys we'd be talking about entrepreneurship and about money and about how to grow wealth and to create a legacy for your family and things of that nature. It was coaching. you know. I would have people that would say, I'm about to start a business and I heard you were talking to so-and-so. Can I take you to lunch? You know, Let's go get a cup of coffee. And so I'm doing a coaching session, giving them ideas and kind of helping them to explore the possibilities as well. So all of that are things that are were kind of illuminating for me. And I realized, you know, this is really where I am already. So why not do it and really take it seriously and venture off? Because at the time I had my marketing agency. Honestly, I was struggling because I was not passionate about it. Had I had the passion for marketing that I had for coaching, I could have dived off and really figured out that niche to really go in. Because running a marketing agency these days, people think it's easy and it's glamorous and it's hard work finding clients, doing that sort of thing. But I didn't pivot because, well, coaching is easier. Well, even though it is for me, but I pivoted because I realized that my gift allowed me to be expressed a lot more powerfully and with more impact through the coaching process. So me understanding that transformation, me understanding the necessity to really show up more powerfully, I could have a marketing agency because that sounds sexy, or I could do this thing that I don't even like the title, But I'm getting people results, it's impacting their lives and it's making a difference for them. Right. So that was the thing that I really, it really just drew me in. Right. It wasn't a push thing. It was more of a pull, if you will.
0: So who showed up to help you on this journey? Because those seem to be very different skill sets.
1: Oh, yeah. I was in a coaching group for a couple of years with My coach at the time was a guy named Brian Ryder. And it was funny because he was a sales and marketing coach, but he did a lot of mindset work and just a lot of frameworks and stuff like that. And so it was through that process of kind of watching how he did stuff to realize, oh, I would show up in the group and I would do my own version of coaching just sometimes because I could help people get clear on what it was that they were going through. One of the things that came up for me was that I realized I was in a fog when it came to the business. So much so that he took me through this exercise one time and he said, well, you need to find your solution that you offer for your clients. And so I'm working through that thing for like a week and I could not figure it out. I had no idea. I was like, so I sent him a message and I said, yo, I don't think I have a solution, man. And he said something to me that really changed the course of my life. He said, God doesn't make people without solutions. And I was like, what? Like it, a bomb went off in my head. And I started thinking, because we used to use this term, you know, use your gift, you know, and in the group. And I started thinking, well, I always have the solution. Is that my gift? What is a gift? What does that mean? And it took me down this this whole of the rabbit hole where I started exploring what it means to have a gift. And that's why I wrote the book, Breaking Over It, because it was that quest to understand that and unpack it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I need to drop bombs. I need to drop bombs, bro, (laughs) because you just said... God doesn't make people without a purpose if, if I capture that rightly. And it's like, Whoa, like I can imagine what happened because you're like, wait, so I gotta have something because you know, you're a son of a preacher. So, I mean, that's through and through. Yeah. So purpose, and you, you just mentioned the word gifts. So like, how do the two play and how does breaking orbits kind of put all that together for us?
1: Yeah, man. So. One of the things that I grew up with was a fascination with words. I love words. And words have meaning, obviously. The problem that we have, when we're confused about something, it shows in our language. When we're clear about something, we can articulate it. The way that we talk about gifts, talents, purpose, mission, things of that nature, is that we lump them all together. So we, they all mean the same thing loosely, even superpowers, the words like that. Right, And so what I wanted to do was unpack that and really understand what that meant. So I started with gift and I really started understanding. So the definition I came up with was one that I found that Dr. Miles Monroe, he articulated one time in a sermon, he said, you know, your gift is your unique capacity to fulfill a certain function in the world, right? And the focus is on capacity. So one of the challenges that we have is that we look at our purpose or we look at our gift as this thing that we do as an occupation, right? So we call someone who's a doctor and say, well, my gift is a doctor or her gift is being a teacher or whatever the case may be. But your gift is not your occupation. Your gift is that capacity to create an impact, right? What does that capacity mean? Like, like if you look at a battery, every battery, at like different sizes has a different capacity. But the capacity is about the impact. It's about it, it conducts electricity. It contains power. Right? It's capacity is about the power it has to be able to make something else go or to create this other reaction, if you will, electrochemical reaction. We all had that. Our gift is that capacity inside of us. It's the battery. But beyond that, it's also our identity because you are synonymous with the impact that you have. On people, the way that you do that, you it can be done through your occupation. It can be done through your talents, etc. And so, let me break that out right quick. Your talents are, if you define your talents and you define the word skills and and how we use those words in conjunction with gift, we overlap those meanings too. So we'll say somebody is super gifted. We'll say they're really talented. We'll say that man, they're so skilled at what they do, right? But if you look at the definition of the word skill, skill means Knowledge you can acquire, right? So you can go to school to learn a skill. But if it's a skill and you have to acquire it, it can't be a gift because a gift is something that's inherent. You inherently are born created with a capacity for something to create a certain impact. So it can't be a skill because you can't acquire your own gift. We talk about talents, but if you look at the definition of the word talent, it's an aptitude for a skill. It's an aptitude or likelihood that you're going to be good at something. So if you're 6'9, you know, 250, like LeBron James, you can jump out of the gym, you've got great hand-eye coordination, then the likelihood that you're going to be good at basketball is really, really good, right? Basketball requires a certain level of skills, dribbling, passing, etc. It's a combination of those skills to be able to play that game. Your talent is your aptitude to be good at those particular skills. So he's talented in those areas. His talents allow him to be good at basketball. Now, he has to hone his skill, but those things are required. But his innate gift, that's something different. Because if basketball was never invented, would that mean that LeBron James was not talented or that he was not skilled? And that's where I think that many people get caught up, right? We get caught up in the fact that um, our occupation is supposed to define us, and we can't figure out what we're good at in terms of what we do, instead of understanding what you need to really be discovering is who you are. What is your unique capacity to impact the world in a very, very particular way? And so once you find your capacity, then you find your purpose. And now you're walking your capacity, you're fulfilling your purpose. You're able to create the impact in the world that only you can do. And that is meaningful and significant in so many ways.
0: What's up, tribe? It's your host, Jerome. I just want to let you know that we put together a free 15-point checklist for exiting the matrix. Jump on over to dreamshouldbereal.com in order to pick your free copy up. Let's get back to the show. You're doing the things that only you can do. So what happens if you don't actually do it? Because that's always the place where I hang my hat. There's somebody counting on you to do the thing that only you could do, but what are they actually doing when they don't do it? When they just stay in the comfort of the job or whatever the thing is?
1: You're, I mean, ask the person sitting next to you, or maybe look in the mirror and ask yourself, how do you feel when you wake up in the morning and you go into this job that you can't stand? How do you feel when you are doing things that you can't attach real meaning or significance to? Are you always asking that question, like, why am I here? Are you always asking that question, what is the point of this, right? The point of this job, this relationship, this whatever, right? You look around the world and people are always looking for meaning and significance in other things, not realizing that the source of significance and meaning is really rooted inside yourself, right? What you were created with is connected to the source of all significance and meaning. Now, for me as a person of faith, I believe that's God, and I believe that God gave that to me, that gift. But beyond that, just understanding that the source of meaning that people are chasing is by and large, 99% of the people in this world are chasing something externally, right? And so when you're always doing that, again, to quote my mentor, Rich Litvin, you know, you can never have enough of something that you don't really need. And if you understand that everything that you need you were already born with to create the life that you want, but you're always chasing things outside of yourself that you don't really need. Then you'll never be fulfilled by material things, by relationships, by occupations, by accolades, by validation. All those things that we are preoccupied with and and chasing after don't mean anything. They don't mean anything because they never can mean anything unless they are connected to what you're doing and when you're walking your purpose day by day. I'm not even sure I answered your question. I think it's just where it took me. Bro, listen. All right. We like to fill
0: the holes in our soul with things, Mm. right? And so you're saying, hey, we're preoccupying ourselves because we're not actually living out the life we're supposed to live in order to distract us from the guilt or the pain, anxiety, whatever you want to call it, Mm -hmm. because that's easier. Than actually looking yourself in the mirror and, and having that tough conversation and doing the thing.
1: Yeah. Oh, Am yeah. I getting this? Look at how many people have to medicate themselves from their reality, right? And This is not a matter of judgment, whether you drink, smoke, what you do, you know. But you look at how many people need something else outside of them to make them okay with living the life that they're living, right? People live for the weekend, And then they go through the week doing everything that they don't want to do. They come home and they need a glass of wine or two or a bottle of something. Or they need to smoke up or they need to, you know, sniff something. Or they need some porn or they need something else that they need to medicate themselves. Because reality is so unbearable, right? It is so unbearable. But it's also our reality is something that we generate. It's our perception of what we have. And the, the most painful thing about our realities is the story the narrative that's going on that we have created we wrote this script or it was pre-programmed into us and we're living it out right and so the holes in our soul are ones that are not filled because we don't understand that we don't really need all these other things right we're just but we're medicating ourselves even that's why when we talk about addiction and things of that nature right A lot of people get caught up in the fact that you got to solve the addiction. The addiction is actually normal. Our brains get creative in ways to figure out how we can soothe ourselves because we're not being fulfilled, because we're not happy, because we're telling ourselves things that don't actually equate to who we really are as human beings. You are infinitely powerful. You are infinitely creative. But we have created this narrative that you're not, that only some people are. That some people are special, and the rest of us are not. That some people are special in ways that we can never be, right? That's because we have never discovered the ways that we can uniquely be ourselves, be fully ourselves, to explore the capacity to create the impact, to know that when you... Look, man, if you throw a rock into a river, it will make a splash. And yet so many people walk around feeling as if they make no dent, no impact in the world whatsoever. And they're not because they're not using their gift to make that impact the way that they were supposed to. That's what that feels like. Addiction is natural because we're trying to figure out how do I soothe myself? How do I disconnect from this reality that I've created to one that feels more pleasant, right? It's how we're wired. And so we chase that dopamine because it naturally unlocks. Here's the thing about dopamine. Dopamine is connected with addiction in most people's mind, but dopamine is simply released anytime. You have this feeling of anticipation. Anytime you are dreaming of something that is bigger, whether it's the whole feeling of falling in love, infatuation, it's about the idea of what this is going to be. And so the whole process of creation actually unleashes the dopamine. And that's really what we're chasing after. The anticipation is always better than the thing. If you look at a, if you want to take a drug addict, right, them chasing the high ultimately becomes more fulfilling more meaningful or more purposeful than actually being high. Because as soon as they get high, they just look for the next high, And so it's that process that they're going through. And if you look at it, what most people are doing is they're medicating themselves from reality and then they get back to reality and they need another fix of something else. And that's why retail therapy, you're in credit card debt, you're at a job and you're like, I don't know what I want to do. Let me go back to school and get another degree. Like some people are addicted to school and degrees and validation from other people. And they're posting selfies on Instagram and things of that nature because they need those hits. They need that because they don't have the thing inside of themselves, that, that internal locus of control, if you will, that tells them, this is really who I am. This is what I'm up to. And then when I wake up in the morning, I'm always dialed into that. How do they find that? <sighs> That's a great question. So in the book, I give nine keys for discovering your gift. Right. And I won't go through all of them. It's a process. But the first key really is to accept that you have one. For a lot of people, you wouldn't believe how hard that is. Like because you look at other people and say, Oh, they're gifted, they're great at what they do, et cetera. But you have to understand everybody has a gift. You got it. You can accept it, then you can start down that path of discovery. Right. It's kind of like when people chase for a buried treasure. You know, they just they find out that it's there. They understand the whole backstory and they just have to believe. You have to believe that the treasure is there to go on the journey to discover it, right? And if you believe that it exists and it's so valuable, then it's worth the journey, right? And whether it takes you a day or it takes a month or a year, it doesn't matter because the process of discovering that thing is in and of itself meaningful and purposeful. So going through that accepting, one accepting that you have a gift. The second thing is, interestingly enough, asking for forgiveness, right? Forgiving someone else in your past or yourself for the things that you hold against yourself or hold against them. And the reason why that's important is because your gift is your unique capacity to impact the world. Your gift is not for you it's for other people, right? You that's how you measure it. Because your impact is only internal then it's not going to ripple outward. Now it starts here, but because it affects other people, you can't have that same impact. You can't discover your gift if there is some resentment, some anger, some blockage that you're holding against someone else. Because in order to do that, you have to recognize, in order to accept the gift from yourself, you have to recognize that everyone has it. If they have it, I have it. But if they have a gift, I can't be holding things against them because it blocks the flow of energy from my own gift. So I do that. So Forgiving other people and forgiving yourself, because a lot of people have never forgiven themselves for mistakes that they've made, for past trauma that they feel like they inflicted. Sometimes that's a story that we told ourselves about abuse or divorce when our parents divorced, or maybe it was your own, right? If you can't forgive yourself, you can't unlock the well of endless potential because you don't feel like you're worthy enough, right? A lot of the rejection and, and powerlessness that people feel is really rooted in that. So it starts there with forgiveness, you know, and then consult the manufacturer. Look at how you're designed. If you want to know how to run a car, you want to know how to operate it, what do you do? You open up the manual. If you want instructions, uh, if you bought something from my Ikea, uh, this may not be helpful, but if you ever put together anything from Ikea, then you know, you got to look at the instructions, you know, and hopefully it helps you. But you got to consult the manufacturer because the manufacturer understands the purpose for which you were created. That is intrinsic in your design. Your gift is, you have been designed to complement your gift in every way, to maximize it, to optimize it. And then you have to go through the process of mastering that, mastering the utilization, the expression of your gift through the things that you do, if you will. So those are the top three things. And then there's some others along the way that you can tap into to be able to go deeper and deeper and really explore and learn more about what that means. (laughs)
0: so first you got to accept you have a gift then you got to do the forgiveness followed by consulting the manufacturer follow the instructions on how to apply or utilize it right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. first three of the nine so all right we're about to go deep because i mean you're on fire right now right it's just coming through you're channeling it this is magic so i'm going to use you as a case study because you're like yeah i asked him about it and he was like I told him I didn't have a gift and he's like, no, you, of course you have a gift. And so
1: what, what's your gift? What is it? Like talk to us. So in the book, I talk about three categories of gifts. And I'm glad you asked that question because for me, that was the hardest part. I was like, first of all, God, there's 8 billion people in the world. How am I going to tell everybody in the world about their own unique gift? Like I, there's no way I can categorize that. Well, when I started looking at it, I, I was able to break it down into three categories. And it's because, again, we're talking about capacity, your power, right? And when we're talking about that in terms of thermodynamics or physics, if you will, there's three principles that I apply and we use those as categories for a gift. So the first one is a transformer, right? Someone who, is, who has the capacity to take something from nothing or to take it from one form and turn it into another. That's their innate gift right so you think about typically what we think of as artists or sculptors or musicians or or inventors those people have the ability to take something as simple as a piece of rubber and transform it into something that is useful functional beautiful inspirational whatever the case may be somebody can even take an idea a thought and turn it into a book or a song or a company if you will they are transformers then you have translators those who are able to infuse meaning into things or to translate complex ideas and simplify them, right? We think of those people in terms of speakers or leaders or, um, again, it could be artists. It could be inventors. See, again, the occupation doesn't matter as much. It's just how your gift is best expressed. And you can do that in many different ways. But translators translate meaning. They provide significance or help to take an idea or a concept and make it clearer so that people can grasp it, can they digest it, and they can use it for their own. And then the third category would be transistors. Those are people that sometimes we see people they are like the life of the party. They are simply through their presence, their own energy, their own essence, the thing that can help to enhance other people's gifts, to enhance an organization, to enhance a situation. If you look at sports, every great team has a glue guy who's in the locker room. They're the person who simply by their presence can help pull things together. You've got the superstar. You've got the people who do the dirty work. But the glue guy could be the guy at the end of the bench who just always knows how to talk to people, He knows how to cheer. Like his energy just makes everything better. People love him. They love having him on the roster or in the room. And their presence, they know how to accentuate other people. They can see what other people need and they can pour into them or they can enhance it in some way. So it's a rough generalization, but those three categories can help people to kind of start tapping into where they best show up in the world. So for me, I'm a translator, right? And so even though I was in the music industry and I was a songwriter and things of that nature, my core gift was in helping people to be able to understand things by simplifying it and condensing down this idea into a song into a speech or a story, taking the story that I heard before and being able to translate an idea in a way. You see this with a lot of preachers, and I guess I got it kind of natural for my dad being a minister as well, but it's a great way to be able to enhance for my gift to be expressed, if you will. So is that helpful? It's very
0: helpful. Very helpful. So three categories. Give me the three categories again.
1: Yeah, transformers, translators, and transistors.
0: Man. Okay. 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 So, and you are translated. Okay. So
1: I'll briefly tell you how I was kind of able to start figuring that out. If I look back over the course of my life, the times where I showed up the best were times when I was doing things that was translating ideas or concepts, right? There was a time when I had to, I was like 15, maybe 15, 16 years old. I was giving a speech. No, I was older than that. I might've been 16 or 17 for Black History Day. So they had a speech and there were a number of speakers that were on the platform, young teenagers like myself. So we're all giving speeches. And so it was my turn to speak. I might've been second or third. I remember I was writing this speech and the thing about it was I had had like a couple of weeks to write this speech and I had nothing. My mom keeps coming up. She called me Freddie at the time. She's like, Freddie, have you written your speech? She's like, uh, no, I haven't done it yet. So I think I wrote it like the night before which for me is pretty consistent. You know, that was my whole college career writing papers the night before. If I had too much time to do it, I couldn't synthesize it. But under pressure, I could really focus and come through with the idea. So anyway, I wrote this speech and I had all these punchlines and I don't know how I knew how to do this, right? But I had all these punchlines and things like that. And this way that I'd written it, that was so kind of percussive. And it was like, I would get this rhythm in It wasn't like a sermon. It was a speech, but it was, it had this rhythm to it. And I just remember not being able to get through the speech fully because people kept interrupting me with all these standing ovations, right? This isn't a way to brag, but it was a way for me to be able to say, wait a minute, I'm having this impact. And it was crazy because I did this and it wasn't until years later that I even remembered I had 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 this experience when I was starting to look back over my life and see the places where I'd had impact. And I had never thought about being a public speaker, like being a motivational speaker, no Eric Thomas or anything like that, you know, shouts out to my man E.T. But when I look back and realized there were ways that I had impact and it was effortless, right? It wasn't like I just knew how to assimilate this information and put it together in a way that had impact. And I'm able to do that through writing. I'm able to do that through speaking. And the thing about it is that it's so crazy to me about giftedness. And this is why it's hard oftentimes for people to be able to pinhole it, is because it comes so easily to us that we overlook it, right? Like there's nothing significant in a flock full of birds when they look at each other and say, oh, yeah, you got wings, I got wings, the big deal, right? Being able to see your own wings is a powerful thing to understand my gift is flight. And to be able to utilize that, first you have to be able to see it, if you will. (laughs)
0: So it's obvious is what you're telling us. It's hiding in plain sight.
1: It's hiding in plain sight, yeah. Because we don't value it. When you go through that process, like whether you go through the book or not, but when you go through this process of discovery, you start to see all the ways that it shows up. The real challenge, and this is why I say accepting your gift is is most important because you have to accept it on the front end and you have to accept it on the back end. Because a lot of times we are envious of what we see other people's gifts are. Because we like what that gift has gotten them, or we like what that gift makes them. And so because we rank people in hierarchies based on the rarity of what they do in terms of occupation, or the rarity of the value that they create in our society, we see some people as more valuable than others. So we see a heart surgeon who is appeared to be more valuable than someone who works at McDonald's because their value can be quantified more powerfully or in monetary terms. But the person who's working at McDonald's has a gift as well. It's likely that they just haven't tapped into it yet. It's likely they just don't understand how they can create that sort of singular value that would allow them to present themselves to the world as if they were a heart surgeon. But they're a heart surgeon in some other aspect of medicine or as a carpenter or as a singer or as a mother or a father, right, as a stay-at-home parent whatever that capacity is that you have it exists you just have to discover it and begin to master it so that you can use it and start to realize it for what it was intended
0: (laughs) this is good stuff okay so you're going through this process you're taking other people through this process when did you realize that you had to keep going Because I'm sure at some point you're like, man, I should just go back and do this other thing. It's more comfortable. It's easy. I don't have to answer any of these hard questions.
1: (laughs) It's been a process of a couple of years of actually really owning this. My wife has really been a big key. She pushed me. She's like, you really have to tell people this stuff. And again, it's because it's obvious. I wrote the book. Now I've embraced it. I live in this coaching space. I've got other entrepreneurial endeavors and things that I'm expressing my gift through, but. The thing that I have to keep realizing, this is why I keep going on podcasts and having these conversations, is because I realize that people don't know this stuff. It seems like it should be obvious. A lot of people are talking about gifts and talents and things of that nature, and you see it being used a lot more. But when I hear it, I'm like, yeah, but if people really understood what a gift really is and they really understood how to harness it, it would be life changing for them. People who read the book, they tell me over and over again, man, this is so powerful. And I'm not saying that to brag. I'm just saying that because, again, I undervalued even the power of the message. And so even, I mean, honestly, as I'm still growing my business, as I'm still discovering more ways to create more impact and visibility around the message, it's easy for me to overlook it and undervalue it. And that's also why it's important to walk in your gift every day because it's easy to take it for granted. And you need to see the impact that it has on others as a motivation to continue to push through the challenges that life presents to you. Because if not, you'll forget, well, you know, yeah, I I got this thing that's special about me. But the impact is what makes it special. Not having it. Having it is is just the beginning. If you're not using it and deploying it for the impact that it was meant to have, what is the point? Right? I mean... you know, it's like a Ferrari that sits still. You know, Ferraris in museums do nobody any good. They're beautiful to look at, but the power of a Ferrari is not just in sitting still. It's really displayed when you turn it on and you hit the gas and you start hitting those corners, right? That's where you experience and that's where the impact is really felt.
0: You're wasting it. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's just sitting on the shelf. I pulled out a bag of cheese the other day and there was mold on it. And I was like, Mm -hmm. what is going on? Right? Mm -hmm. Like, why is this moldy? And of course, I couldn't eat it, right? But if you just let it go for too long, then you end up in a space where it's not useful anymore. You can't consume it. You can't use it. So I I love that point.
1: The world is full of moldy people. (laughs) And what happens when it molds? It starts to smell. You know, it's not attractive. It's not useful. And... The only difference between that and people is that God doesn't throw us away. Because for us, we mold, but our gift doesn't, right? The gift is actually always preserved. There's no reason that a person 90 years old still can't use their gift. They may not use it in the same way. You may just be discovering your gift. You may feel like, man, I've been in corporate America for 20, 30 years. I, you know, I'm stuck here. You know, I don't have anything about me that's special. But the wrapping, the paper, don't worry about that. Don't worry about how long it's been sitting on the shelf. You can take your gift down. You can open that box and you can see what's inside it. And you can always deploy that impact. I tell that to people over and over again. I want young people to be able to discover it so they can have their whole lives to enjoy mastering it. But it doesn't matter if you're just out discovering this at 45, 55, 75 years old. That gift has unlimited impact and you can still use it. Just discover it.
0: Woo-wee! My brother, that is a great way to put a bow on this podcast. Thank you so much for being so generous with your time. Ladies and gentlemen, you got to jump over and grab Breaking Orbits, get connected with Frederick. Man, Frederick Douglass. I want to go into the name and where all of this got connected, but we're going to have to say that for repeat invite, repeat guests. I got to get you back on the show, man. Thank you so much,
1: bro. I appreciate it, Jerome. Thanks so much for having me, man.
0: For Sure. And to the listeners, your dreams should be real. We'll talk soon. Thank you for joining the tribe today. We would love to hear from you. Please don't forget to rate, like, and share. Perhaps someone you know could benefit from what we've discussed until the next time. Remember that your dreams should be real.